Hello and welcome to this episode in which we'll be discussing the Battle of Hastings. This is for the 16 mark historic site question on the Norman paper. And for this one you need to be able to think about all of the different factors that have an impact on why battles are successfully won and successfully fought. So I'll kick off and I think that the main thing that drives your success Oh, sorry, I should say at this point, I'm joined by a couple of colleagues. Hello. Hello. And we're each going to take one side of this. So I'm, I'm going to kick off, and I'm going to start with the idea of preparation. For me, the key thing in this period is that as far as possible, people would avoid battles. They would actually avoid them as much as possible because it's such a big roll of the dice. Yes, the rewards are big, but you can get those rewards through other means, through diplomacy, through deal-making and negotiation, risking it all in a muddy field, fighting a lot of big, hairy guys with beards is a hiding to nothing. And you see that with William. William avoids battles quite a lot. Harold sees that when he's over with him. He sees him avoid these battles. But when you know that you're going to have to, the trick is to make sure you're prepared. And we can see that with William. Not only does he get his fleet of ships built and bought in good order, not only does he recruit people from all over Europe, and the key thing about the recruiting mercenaries is it means he can leave troops behind to guard his lands in Normandy as well. So not only does he recruit mercenaries, he also gets the backing of the Pope, making it a holy war, a crusade, which allows him to offer salvation as well as an excuse for killing people to his followers. And he gets these people together at the beginning of the year, and then he's able to hold them in position, train them, feed them, keep the peace, keep them organised, right the way through the summer until he's ready to go. And then, once he actually arrives... Again, he's not taking any chances, he's preparing the ground. He builds a castle at Pevensey as soon as he gets there, which he's brought with him. He immediately goes out and starts pillaging the lands to make sure he's got the supplies to keep his campaign going, and also in the sure and certain knowledge that attacking these ancestral lands of the Godwins is going to draw Harold into a fight before he's ready. And then he's also reconnoitering the area. He's going out and he's doing that himself. He is not sending out people to do it. He's not trusting second-hand reports. He's going out with a bodyguard of 25 men and looking at the lay of the land, looking for signs that Harold's coming. And I suppose we should also probably talk about training as part of the preparation as well, but I suspect that's going to come up with a few other people, so we'll, we'll mention that probably a bit later on. So that's really my point of view, Preparation is the key. It prevents poor performance. Well, I'd like to agree with my colleague in some, uh, in some respects in that preparation does prepare, <clears throat> prevent poor performance. However, I would contend that preparation is important, but the key decisive elements of the outcome are the weaponry that's available to the two sides and the tactics that, that are adopted on the day of the battle itself. Now, first I'd like to deal with the weaponry. At the Battle of Hastings itself, the Saxons had very few archers. Mm. Archers were important for a battle that had to be decided on the day. 
first thing you need to know is that most medieval battles lasted from two to four hours because mm -hmm. everybody would just get tired. Mm -hmm. William knew he had to win the battle on the day. Any delay makes William weaker and Harold stronger. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he couldn't risk his entire future and his entire kingdom, probably, on a two to four hour battle. Particularly as Harold had deployed his forces in the best possible way for the forces that he'd had available. So the key to William's success was he had a lot of archers. The archers could keep pressure on the Saxon forces while his infantry and cavalry were resting. They could prolong the battle so the battle lasted for nine hours. The archers could operate without any fear of being attacked themselves because the Saxons had no archers. Now, why did the Saxons have no archers? The Saxons normally fought with archers. However, their archers were part of the conscript Fjord army. Most of the archers came from the north, from the forested lands, mm -hmm. where archery, the materials needed for bows yeah. were common. And of course, archery was a, a vital skill for hunting. Mm -hmm. The bad luck which Harold had had is that he'd fought, he or his followers had fought two major battles in the north. We don't know very much about the Battle of Gate Fulford. All we do know is that the Saxons were routed, that most of the Saxon army was destroyed by Hudrada's Viking army. We also know that the Saxons still had archers at the Battle of Stamford Bridge but that not many archers travelled south uh, to fight with Harold at the Battle of Hastings. So presumably they, they were from part of the armies of the north who'd survived Fulford Gate and just stayed up there, one imagines. For Stamford Bridge, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yes yeah. indeed. Another key factor seems to be, and this is medieval warfare, so the evidence is a little bit sketchy, but seems to be that Harold after the Battle of Stamford Bridge, refused to share out the Viking loot. Mm. And that demotivated a lot of the Fjord forces. Mm. So obviously the Housecarls stayed with him mm. to come south, but a lot of the conscript forces did not come south with him. So for various reasons, he had very few archers. Therefore, the Norman archers could fire all day long, thinning the ranks of the Saxons with impunity, and put pressure on those Saxon forces while the Norman cavalry and infantry were basically having a rest and regrouping for further attacks. So they're the archers and then of course the good old main factor that everybody thinks about is the cavalry. Now here the Saxon philosophy and the Norman philosophy could not be more opposite. In the Norman tradition the reason why cavalry knights were so important to the Normans Cavalry was the height of military virtue. You learned to be a knight from a young child. There are stories that they taught uh, young children from the age of three or four riding on the back of pigs to gain their balance. <clears throat> there was a whole ceremony associated with becoming a knight. It was a rite of passage. It was a, it was, it was a must if you were the son of a noble family. 
and the tactics were well established. They fought in small groups called Conroys. Now, usually those were boys who had been brought up together mm. and learned the art of mounted warfare together yeah. and knew each other very well. They knew the tactics very well. This was a fine instrument of warfare. Now, if we take the Saxons by contrast, now, Saxon housecarls, Saxon nobles, obviously journeyed to battles on horseback. But the idea of fighting on horseback was seen as cowardly. To the point that the idea of tethering your horse near the battlefront was seen as a cowardly act because it made escape from battle easier. <laughs> yeah. In the Saxon tradition, you fought on foot in the thickest press of your enemies no matter how important you were, and that includes the king. So the Saxons, by long tradition, had only been fighting the Vikings. Now the Vikings fought with infantry and archers, and the Saxons fought with infantry and archers, and they were both very successful, effective fighting forces. The Normans' secret weapon, not so secret, were the cavalry. They were manoeuvrable, they were fast and in the right conditions could make a big hole. They could smash like a hammer into enemy forces, into infantry forces. These were not the racehorses that you see on modern films. These were great big things, more like the size of a shy horse. They were heavy. They could get up to about 30 miles an hour with a big, heavy fella on the top, chain mail and lots of weapons. They would hit you like a truck and then the weapons would rain down on you. These were a very effective weapon in certain circumstances. Of course, they were more manoeuvrable. If you have only infantry and archers, you are worried about being outflanked by the Norman cavalry. Which brings me neatly to tactics. In a way, the superior tactics on the day were adopted by Harold. Given the forces he had available, only infantry. Cresting Senlac Hill in such a way that there was no room to outflank him. <clears throat> the Normans, marshalling their forces at the base of Senlac Hill, had a fairly steep slope to climb. That takes out one of the key advantages of the cavalry, the downhill, or level, charge, where they can smash into the Saxon shield wall with all their force. They're not able to do this. It's a very slow approach, and they're faced with a very solid unbreakable formation in the shield wall. Can I ask a question? Mm. Do you think there's a possibility, and this is this is either of you, do you think there's a possibility that Harold, having seen William's reluctance to go into battle earlier in other cases, thinks that by adopting this very strong defensive position on the top of the hill, he can actually just make him go away? I personally think that's more than a possibility. Yeah, in a bit, when I argue about Harold's mistakes, a lot of what you've said so far links into it, and yeah. that's certainly one aspect of it, um, an assumption by Harold of how William's going to fight, and yeah. so therefore he adopts a tactic that he thinks is going to be effective against it. Could, couldn't couldn't but, agree more, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Well, I'll expand on no. that later. So the Norman cavalry used as William seems to have intended to use them, or were not effective and successful. William seems to have brought all of his toys to the battlefield, his archers, even some crossbowmen. Mm -hmm. um, 
his cavalry as well as his infantry. And he starts the fight off with his archers, but they're in the wrong place. Mm. The trajectory of the fire is taking most of the arrows over the heads of the Saxon shield wall. A schoolboy error by William, who should have known better. However, this happens. He then attacks several waves with his cavalry and his infantry, and they're being repulsed, and they're having no success whatsoever. Now, the key point of the battle where William's planned tactics are not important, but the key point of the battle is where the Normans start to retreat and start to retreat in what looks like it's going to become a rout. They're retreating out of order. It looks like the Normans are going to leave the field. At this point, William uses his personal will to scotch the false rumours that he's dead. There are stories of his lifting up his visor, taking off his helmet, shrieking at the retreating Normans, I'm alive, I'm alive. And then actually riding around and marshalling his troops and getting them back into the fight. Mm. Now this is where I'm sure uh, <clears throat> my other colleague will come in with the key mistake of the Saxons. The right wing of the Saxon shield wall seemed to break their formation. If, we, if you leave that for him. Mm. and yeah. Uh, yeah, surely. But it seemed to, as, as they chase... No, no, so we've got the fend retreat... So he sort of pulls away, but that's repeated, isn't it? Well, it, yeah, it does seem like the first instance of this is not a feigned retreat, mm. it's an actual retreat. Yeah. But later, and this is controversial, it does seem that they try the feigned retreat several times. Mm. Now, this tactic, used never by William, but by one of his key lieutenants in earlier battles around 1051. And is, also, um, I believe it's been used uh, in 1053 and 1060 as well. This is, this is something the Normans have used before, it appears, which uh, I find interesting because that, that suggests preparation. But I'll come to that later. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and also, those the commanders who they think are responsible for those early examples of feigned retreats were also highly likely to have been there at mm -hmm. Hastings as well. The key command is highly likely to have been there, but of course yeah. this is a medieval battle, so we're feeling around <laughs> a little bit for, for all of this. Um, yeah, but I, th I think the key, the key tactic of the feigned retreat, which seems to have been used um, later in the battle, is pretending to run away and then using the manoeuvrability and speed of the knights to wheel round and encircle the chasing infantry of the Saxons when they're not in the solid defence of a shield wall. And obviously, uh, cavalry against disorganised infantry only has one winner, and it's, uh, it's, it's not the infantry. Uh, <clears throat> so I'd like to really conclude what I'm saying by, by pointing out that the fact that the Normans have archers allows them to prolong a nine-hour battle on a day when the Normans must win or they potentially lose everything. Mm. because they are aware of the Saxon fleet cutting off the retreat. Yeah. And they are aware that every day, you can argue every hour that passes, where King Harold and the Saxons stay alive, they get stronger and the Normans get weaker. They can no longer go out foraging because mm. they can't split their forces to go and pillage the Saxon villages because they're being fixed by the presence of a Saxon army. Yeah. So he must win on that day. He must kill or capture Harold on that day. Yeah. The archers allow him to, allow him to, pr to prolong that battle for nine hours because it gives his infantry and cavalry a rest. These manoeuvres that the Normans are uh, using on the battlefields are very complicated. 
So how were the Normans able to achieve that? Mm. Was there something that they were doing that was different to yeah. the Anglo-Saxons? Yeah, and I'm sure, I'm sure I shall pronounce it wrongly, but gonfano. Yeah, right. Okay, a system of communicating rather like semaphore using flags, whereas the Saxons had um, Old English and shouty voices. But it's, it's true though, isn't it? Because, I mean, if you think about what's happening at the top of the ridge, you've got the king who's put down his dragon banner in the centre there, and he is literally standing there and just shouting stuff down the wings to the other people, whereas down at the bottom of the hill, you've got the Gonfanon system sending these messages. You couldn't get two more different examples of running an army. And don't forget as well that it's not just a system of Gonfanon and the Conroy fighting together on the battlefield. The way that the Normans have set their army up with these three divisions, which are very much like homogenous groups, aren't they? So you've got Normans in the middle, you've got Bretons on the left, you've got French and Flemish mercenaries on the right. And each one of these three divisions also has subdivisions of archers, cavalry, infantry, and they are all trained in this Norman style of warfare. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, it's a, it's a completely different beast compared to the way that the Anglo-Saxons are fighting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I might as well carry on. So, another aspect to this is Harold's mistakes, and I'll try and do this in, in order, if you like, so that you can see that it's not just one mistake, but each mistake that Harold makes it builds on the next, and it kind of... Yeah. It almost comes to a point that when he's fighting at Hastings, he's, he's almost lost the battle before it starts. So, first of all, Lincoln, you said about the um, use of reconnaissance that yeah. uh, William does. Uh, we're not quite sure how much spying activities the Anglo-Saxons did before the battle, but it does appear that Harold had very little idea of exactly where William was on that mm. day. He knew he was somewhere in that vicinity, and he marched towards him, you know, he wants to find this guy, but he wasn't exactly sure where he was. And William had kind of almost laid a trap, if you like, for him, because William had arrived at this battlefield and he'd chosen it. It was William's preferred battle site. And he gave up the high ground as well, because he wanted the Anglo-Saxons to root themselves on top of the hill, mm. because it would allow him to then use all those wonderful tactics that you've just spoken about with the Gonfanon and so on. So straight away, Harold's made some mistakes there in not actually scouting the ground and actually trying to work out maybe what William's intentions were. Um, He'd also, before any of this, he'd actually sent his first army home because if you remember before the actual invasions, the feared were sent home to collect in the harvest. Now that army had been together for a while no doubt they had done some training. They were probably his best and most experienced troops, and yeah. he actually disbanded that army um, <laughs> before any of the invasions took place. Then, of course, he gets called up north to fight for the, the other two battles. We're not going to go into those today, though. Um, then he hears the news that William has arrived, and he comes rushing back down again. Now, this is yet another mistake that Harold's making, because he's not giving his army time to rest, and... He really, he had time. Time was on his side because William is in an alien land. He's surrounded by people that don't want him there. Yeah. Harold could have gone to London. He could have waited and he could have waited for huge numbers of reinforcements to arrive. Thousands. Yes. Some people say 20 to 30,000 reinforcements. He could have waited for a levy of archers to be provided. He could have rested his men but instead 
for whatever reason he chose, he went straight to Hastings. It's probably, most historians argue this, because William was ravaging his right. lands and he was goading him into it. And that's yet another mistake. Harold falls for this really quite basic trick. You know, William is saying, come on, I'm here. I'm making a nuisance of myself. Come and fight me. And Harold falls for that as well. Um, in terms of the shield wall technique that we've spoken about, you're right to point out it's a very effective defensive tactic. And Harold, I suppose it's the only way that he was going to fight, but he, he'd witnessed Norman warfare yeah. earlier in his life. He probably was aware that the Normans had this vast array of different troop types, of communication systems, and yet he still sticks with this old-fashioned shield wall. He doesn't seem to have any innovation in him. No. He just plonks himself at the top and tries to create this barrier, which isn't actually as strong as it first appears either. You were going to say something. I was, I was just going to ask, do you think that's a symptom of his overconfidence yeah. because he's just defeated Hadrada, mm. this, who is probably more feared than William? I think it's yeah. fair. I mean, mm -hmm. William's got a bit of a reputation, but Hadrada... Yeah. And you've just gone up there and you've just annihilated him and, and killed Hadrada himself. Yeah. And... If I could interject here, I think it's not not only confidence, although certainly <clears throat> the Anglo-Saxon army was supremely confident after Stamford Bridge, but he'd won Stamford Bridge by the element of surprise, mm, by marching yeah. 190 miles mm -hmm. in four days and catching Harold Hadrada unawares. I think his lack of reconnaissance had fooled him into thinking that William would fall for the same, same trick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you see, he does, he's unaware that William has been there, yeah. and he's completely... I mean, he's arranged the battle before it's even fought, mm. and Harold mm. isn't aware of that. And it also links to something else that you said about the Anglo-Saxon tradition as well. I mean, they must have had supreme confidence in their in their uh, tradition of fighting on foot. Yeah. You know, and they, they considered... They, probably considered themselves to be superior warriors, man to man. Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to fight on foot, we're going to stare you in the face, we're not going to be on our horsebacks. Um, well, the other thing is, I mean, I mean, we know Harold had seen the Normans fighting and he'd seen the troops before, but for your average housecarl or feared or anybody like that, standing on the... You've, you've never seen cavalry. You've got no idea what cavalry are capable of. Yeah. So I know, as, as you were saying, it's a foregone conclusion, disorganised infantry versus cavalry. But these guys don't know that. No. no. And again, just to repeat something, albeit you may see it as a mistake, but given the strategic error of turning up in the first place, mm -hmm. which you've pointed out and are quite right about, the tactical disposition of those soldiers where it's impossible to outflank them and they're on the crest of a hill, of a hill and it takes out the major advantage of cavalry, manoeuvrability and smashing impact. Actually, the deployment, given his situation on the day, is a masterstroke mm. and the best he can possibly do. I'll come back to you because I've got a question for you about that, seeing as you're hammering on that point, but I'll come back to you when he's finished. Yeah, so speaking of this shield wall, right, it is a wonderfully defensive tactic. And undoubtedly, if you've got a shield wall of many, many ranks of professional housecarls who are going to stand their ground, then that technique is going to be perfect. And mm. what Harold has to do, he just has to block that road, because we've already established that every minute is his. You know, yeah. The more troops arrive, the more likely it is that he's going to win. Um, however, the ridge that he is on 
is actually quite a distance. And he has to spread the shield ball out more than he mm-hmm. would have liked. Yeah. And what he ends up with is a centre that is very strong mm-hmm. with his professional troops, but the wings of his shield wall further away from the centre of command, but also less experienced troops as well. And it means that the shield wall is thinner than he'd probably have wanted it to have been. Mm-hmm. It's still very effective. I'm not going to argue against that. Yeah. But it's not as secure as it could have been. And the idea of the streams, the marshland, the forested areas to his left and right, which protects his flanks, is absolutely true. But it also prevented any real genuine escape attempts that could have been made by the yeah. Anglo-Saxons, because they've got forested land to the back of them as well. Um, he's kind of put himself as a cork, isn't he, in a bottle. Mm-hmm. And it's up to William to punch that cork out. And there's only one very narrow route across that old road, across the top of that hill, where any of them can go. Um, but of course... The big mistake that Harold makes during that battle is with the feigned retreat. Now, there is a little bit more, though, that I need to say about this, because it comes to leadership here as well. When that first feigned retreat took place, um, the historian Stephen Morillo argues that the failure of that initial attack made by the Normans, where William had to say, you know, I'm still alive, which led to those Anglo-Saxons coming out from the shield wall, he argues that that um, attack was probably led by Harold's two brothers, mm-hmm. Geirth and Leofwine, who were the other two major commanders on that day. And his argument is, is that they were killed at that point. And mm-hmm. we know mm-hmm. that they died, and they must have died you know, quite early on in the battle, because after that first moment, the Anglo-Saxons lost the ability to actually come off of the hill yeah. and advance yeah. Yeah. like they probably would have done in any other battle that they would have fought. Yeah, because the, the idea of the shield wall is it's like a hydraulic yeah, ram and you pushes push forward. forward yeah. yeah, and it's an unstoppable force. But with the loss, that sudden loss of really important leadership means that for the rest of the battle, the Anglo-Saxons are rooted to the top of that hill, mm. hemmed in on every side and under constant attack, like, like you said, with archery, cavalry, infantry, and like a rolling sort of... You know, constant attack on them with no chance to um, to rest, and with the loss of that leadership as well, they then fall for that feigned retreat over and over again because there is no one there mm-hmm. to be able to stop these untrained, ill-disciplined feardmen from running off the hill. Harold himself, and this is the Anglo-Saxon way. He's on foot. He's right yeah. in the middle, but that again is a mistake because he can't actually pull himself out of that shield wall. The, the chronicles yeah. say that the, they were so tightly packed that even the dead couldn't fall. Yeah. And Harold's in the middle of that. So he could probably see on his left wing and on his right wing his army slowly being worn away and disintegrating and falling, but he couldn't do anything to stop it. Mm-hmm. So again, that's another major issue in terms of mistakes that he made tactically on the day and strategically beforehand. Um, and I think there's one last thing I'd like to say in terms of uh, Harold's mistakes and it's a bit controversial this I'm not sure how true it is some historians suggest that maybe Harold did not expect William to come to battle so quickly yeah because Harold would have been aware that in William's past for example during the conquest of Maine or in his defense of Normandy against the king of France mm-hmm. William avoided fighting battles because it's a very risky business his usual yeah. tactics were plunder terror and then capturing strategic places, strongholds, castles, and towns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possible 
that Harold expected William to adopt that style of warfare, but Harold made the mistake of plonking himself too close to William's army too yeah. soon, when he didn't have numerical superiority, and it kind of forced William into the battle maybe a little bit sooner than he wanted, or maybe sooner than it would have suited Harold. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but it's, it's, a, it's an interesting <laughs> argument. But I think overall, you know, in terms of mistakes, Harold made so many mistakes. Um, and then with the leadership issue as well, and of course, and you compare that to the Normans, William is leading from the front, just like he does in all of his campaigns. Yeah. He, he's, a, he's a cavalry commander, keeping his troops morale and, and, you know, keeping them going when he's showing them that he's still alive when that rumour goes around that he's dead. Um, it's, it all speaks volumes for the leadership qualities of that man. Yeah. And the fact that the battle goes on for nine hours, like you've pointed out as well, it shows you the determination of both. Mm -hmm. So maybe ultimately, with, with the death of Harold, you get the end of the battle, don't you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's not just the end of the battle, it's the end of the war, really. Yes, because yes, with yes, so correct, many yeah. of the Anglo-Saxon leadership dead on that battlefield, yeah. there isn't really anyone to take up and create a genuinely coordinated resistance against the Normans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it has a knock-on effect which lasts for the next 10 years, where the Anglo-Saxons, they try their hardest to regain their land, but it's piecemeal, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's like over a bit, there, over there. Yeah. So I have a question on that, then. Yeah. Based on that, is it... Because obviously we're talking about the historic site, the site of the Battle of Hastings. Yes. Mm -hmm. So my question is, then, do you think it's possible that this position on top of the ridge, hemmed in by woodland, with the woodland behind you, and this inability to retreat, this is what turns it from a disaster into an apocalypse because mm. those house carls, those earls, that entire ruling class of norm of Anglo-Saxon England can't get away no. and they get ground up by the cavalry. Well, I, I would argue against that to a small extent. I think what turns it into the apocalypse is the fact that he's there mm. with that army. The yeah, because he didn't have to be, did he? It no. didn't have to no, be. No, that's and another, another mistake advised. which I foolishly have left out. But he mm. didn't have to be. And there. and he was advised not to be. He could have sent his brothers Gurth and Leofwine with the Saxon army available as a little holding action. Indeed, while he gathers the rest of the people Edwin to um, Morcar, Edwin Morcar the brings rest. a bit yeah. yeah to fix the Normans' forces to stop the pillaging of Wessex. Yeah. And then again gather his forces to come and annihilate William. Now this is another question. Do we think that there's a factor here that is worth considering, which is Harold and his men have marched north, mm -hmm. had the battle at mm -hmm. Stamford Bridge, and they've come south. They must be exhausted. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, when you're that tired, are you thinking clearly? Yeah. Is, is fatigue at play here when we're talking about, A, the poor decisions Harold's making, but also... The, the the poor decision making of the of the feared out on the on the flanks. Yeah. Charging down after the Normans after certainly the first retreat is probably genuine and then recovered by William. But certainly the second one is very obviously a trap. Mm -hmm. And then the third one so the fact they fall for it again is is something affecting their decision yeah. making? Well, I, I, I mean, I was going to suggest that maybe we sort of like finished off with this because we've got the, all these different factors. We've 
superb tactics and training and preparation, lots of silly mistakes being made. But this whole issue of a very tired army, it brings in this element of, of Harold was actually quite an unlucky man yeah, when it yeah. came to that year. Because he doesn't just fight one no. overwhelming invasion, he has to no. fight two. And he fights three battles in a very short period of time. And when you consider that battle was so rare yeah. and very, very um, unlikely as well to determine the outcome of a war, because there's so many different factors which influence it. Yeah. The fact that the Anglo-Saxons have had to go through this, defeating one enemy in one end of the country, leaving their regional experience of archers in the north, you know, and then coming to the south, being exhausted. I, th I think he was. He was a very unlucky commander. Well, he could have been Harold the Great, couldn't he, if he'd have just had a little bit... Yeah, well, I would, I'd like to come in there. For all that we can, uh, I think most of us have um, sung the praises of William. He was a very lucky man because mm -hmm. there's no evidence to suggest that he had spies or extensive marine reconnaissance or knew what Harold Hadrada was doing. Oh, absolutely true. Yeah. And yeah. there is evidence that he did try to cross the channel in the summer mm -hmm. and lost men and ships in yeah. the attempt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that time, that he had the Saxon navy and the Saxon army ready for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Would probably have lost. Yeah. So no. he's, he's a lucky man. He that is. Wind was absolutely. blowing in the wrong direction. Absolutely, yeah. I think, yeah, you can't, you can't argue that luck was very definitely mm. on William's side. Obviously, William would say it was God. Yes, indeed. indeed. It's, indeed. There's no question there. Mm. I, I have a question for you then. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, <clears throat> you 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 are very definitely of the opinion that the the choice of the battle site and the deployment of the Anglo-Saxons favours Harold, and Harold deploys correctly, and William doesn't. Well, let me interject a little bit. Given the poor strategic circumstances in no, which no, that, Harold places yeah. himself. I don't see how he could have adopted a better No, no, that's absolutely fine. But my question to you then is, if the position is so poor for William, why do you think William chose it? Because we know William chose this battle site. Why do we think William deliberately puts himself at the foot of the hill in a situation where he robs his cavalry of the ability to outflank and can only go forward? Well, I can answer that. It's not a tactical decision. It's a strategic position. He knows he's got to commit Harold to a battle on mm. that day. He knows to win the war, he must kill Harold mm -hmm. and the leading Saxon nobles. So he's dangling a huge carrot. Yeah, yeah he wants yeah. him to take the hill yeah, yeah. because he knows that Harold, yeah. with his Anglo-Saxon tradition, is going to stand there and he's going to stand there all day. But also, William's a gambler. Because although he's got all of his toys, he very nearly loses that battle. And but for some serious mistakes on the day, mm. probably should have lost that battle. Mm. So the strategic good decision was there's a big carrot. There's a battlefield which you can dominate with the men you've got available. And his reconnaissance was good, so he did know what sort of troops Harold had available. Mm. However, he sacrificed tactical advantage for strategic advantage and gambled everything on winning that battle that day bringing back to your point at the beginning 
people didn't fight battles because no. they were too risky. Mm -hmm. But that was one occasion where everything had to happen for him on that day, so the battle was worth doing. I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying there, but I have to take issue with the idea of, of William the Bastard as a gambler, because he's not. He's not. This, to him... This is a risk, but it's a risk that he's prepared for. It's a risk that he's ready for, and he thinks he stands a good. Remember, he knows Harold as well, and he knows what Harold's capable of. And up until, really, Harold takes the throne, he's not anywhere near as well thought of a general as William. So I, I think William's operating on the assumption that he could quite happily take Harold if it comes to it. But... If you, if you look at if you look at the training if you look at the general professionalism I think one of the uh, one of the historians we've had a look at which was I think um, Alan Brown says that the Norman Knights are as professionals can be they are trained they are drilled they are prepared you look at the mm -hmm. the castle put in all the rest of it it's a risk but I don't think it's as much of a roll of the dice as as we're making it out to be so yeah, I mean, I'd, 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 just a last bit on that. You know, William's preparations are immense, aren't they? Yeah. He, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not just this religious aspect or the building of his military. He's making all sorts of political preparations as well. Yeah. This guy's going, and he's going for the long run, and he's not going to come back unless he's successful. This, yeah. this is not like Harold Adrada, no. who's just chancing his arm, <laughs> no. and we'll get stuck in there and see what we can get. William, I genuinely thinks he should be the king, yeah, yeah. and he is coming to get what is owed. Mm. Okay, but what I would say is, if you look at the merits of his original strategy, take Harold Adrada out of the equation, William loses. He does. I oh agree. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. the fact that he's prepared to take that risk tells you that he is a risk taker during that campaign. Does he? Does he genuinely think mm. God is on his side and will provide? Yeah. I, I, that has to be. This is a deeply religious man in a deeply religious age. I think there is that providential thing in the background here yeah. where he is expecting that things will work out as they should in a world yeah. where everything's organised by providence. Yeah, and th there is one other thing, I suppose, before we look at summarising this. Yeah. Some people argue that maybe he always intended to arrive at harvest time <laughs> to make it as difficult as possible. But I, I'm not sure, because there is evidence that he did, like you say, yeah. he tried to cross beforehand. Yeah. But um, it, late summer, I don't know, may, maybe maybe he did. But I, I think there's well, other, thing, other things which are much more important yeah. in this discussion. All right, let's, let's, yeah. let's see if we, can, if we can pull it together. So if, if I was, we've got three historians sitting around the table here. We've, we've all looked at all of the evidence. We've all gone through it with our various classes more than once. So if I was to say, the elements that are possibly at play here are the things that can lead to success in medieval battles as shown by the Battle of Hastings. We have leadership, mm -hmm. we have mistakes, we have troop types, we have tactics, we have preparations, we have the terrain, and we have luck. Mm -hmm. Gun to your head, which of those do you think is the most influential or is it a mixture and if so a mixture of what yeah. so i'll go first and i'll say it is undoubtedly a mixture because it's a very unique battle and it's unique because of that mixture mm -hmm. of various factors but if 
my my gut feeling is I think the major factors were some very bad luck for Harold and some very good luck for William, which set the scene for the battle. Mm-hmm. And then I think that the mistakes that Harold made strategically and then the disintegration of his leadership on that day are the main reasons why. Hmm. Harold lost and William won. He was commanding a tired army that had already fought off one big invasion and he'd, he'd essentially, to use a modern term, he'd bitten off more than he could chew on yeah. that day. Okay, I largely agree with that. I think the battle, the damage was done for Harold um, before the 14th of October. He should have stayed in London. Given his situation, the, set, the scene was set by William's good luck, the weather in the Channel, Hadrada's invasion, Harold's very bad luck. But even given that situation, even given the fact that William had superior forces, the key determining factor was that Harold did not stay in London. He yeah. should have been nowhere near yeah. Hastings yeah. Yeah, on absolutely. that day. But, but, because, and this is key, because even though William's got wonderful tactics, wonderful strategy, if Harold had been a bit smarter, he could have overcome those issues. If Obviously, Harold easily. would have stayed in London, he could have turned up later with 40,000 men. Yeah, as opposed to eight. Uh, as opposed to somewhere between six and eight. Yeah. And with fresh men, yeah. and with archers as well as infantry, and William withers on the vine. He gets weaker and weaker. The weather in the channel interrupts his supply line. Every day he gets weaker and the Saxons get stronger. That key error, I think, given everything that's gone on in the past, we don't get to that key error if it wasn't for the good luck that William has. But when we get to the campaign itself, that's the big mistake. I I agree with everything everybody said, to be honest. Uh, But the other factor... That is a big deal for me, I would say. I, I, I have this image on the day of the dragon banner flapping in the autumn wind and Harold stuck in that shield wall up there while down at the bottom of the hill, William gets three horses killed from under him. And that, on the day, tells you everything you need to know because Harold is stuck stationary and cannot exercise his will, cannot mm-hmm. exercise his control over this long, thin line while you've got William in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Horses dead, getting back on the horses, getting out there and leading the attack. And do you, uh, do you think, and it's impossible to put yourself in someone's head, but William, he knows he's going to win because God is with him. Yeah. And is that, is that sort of element of faith that's very difficult in a modern age it, to really the, understand. Uh, the, the other thing to remember is the morning of the battle, you've got the uh, Anglo-Saxons at the top of the hill banging their swords on the shields and shouting, oot, 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 you know, like mm-hmm. football hooligans. But down at the bottom, you've got the Normans singing hymns. And and genuinely, that morale, that that sense of we are on a mission, that must have played in. Although having played rugby all of my life. <laughs> a, a night of drinking. There's nothing better than And the Saxon shield wall has proved successful in the past. Well, I think that's covered pretty much everything. If The key thing you need to remember here, going into your exam, is that there are those six or seven different factors at play. Each of them has an impact on the outcome of the battle. 
there is a mixture of them. So whichever one you get asked about in the exam, you can bring the others in to bear on that. Balance it up. And balance it up. Produce a balanced argument and you can't go wrong. I think that's everything. Mm-hmm. It is. Just revise. <laughs> revise. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Good luck in your exams.